Heavenly Father, I thank you for showing up here today. I thank you for the anointing. I thank you for giving me utterance. Father, thank you for a spirit of wisdom for each individual. Help us to uh, just understand how this whole thing works. Help us to apply it in real life and real time so we could always be on the winning side of your judgments. And uh, Father, as we, as we endeavor to figure out how to play by the rules of the court of equity, Father, help us in all this see your character and how you have rigged the whole thing for our benefit. And you've set the whole thing up so that all we have to do is show up a little bit and we win big. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Righteousness, God's Equity, Part 3. Let's go to the first one for me, Mandy. Just, this is going to be a quick review. I'm going to run through it. I told Kimmy, I said, you know, I really want to cut a bunch of this stuff out, but really some of us it's only the second or third time we've ever heard any of this, and it is kind of deep and technical, so I want to keep driving the point home. When you see the word righteousness in your Bible, it's the word what? Equity. Equity, right. So we saw the first definition of equity is it's the net value of real property determined by subtracting the amount of unpaid debts secured against the property from the appraised value of the property. Again, we talked about buying a house, and if you put a down payment down and, and then you mortgage the rest, how much equity you have is how much the house appraised for plus your down payment is your equity. Go to the next one. Then we saw in the Bible there's three types of righteousness. There's the unrighteous, the self-righteous, and the righteous. Now, the unrighteous is somebody that has no equity with God. They're bankrupt with God. I didn't, didn't say they're morally bankrupt. Did because a lot of people think that when you see unrighteous in the Bible. It has nothing to do with whether you're moral or you're not. It's who's got equity with God or not. Are you hearing this? Because there's a lot of people that don't have equity with God that are a lot more moral than people that have equity with God. Just because you got born again and you got equity don't make you moral or immoral, does it? You can still do the wrong thing, can't you? You can still cuss, drink, smoke, or you can steal. I know Christians are the worst for stealing. Because I guess they don't believe God that they could get it any other way, so they'll grab it however they can. They don't really believe God will get it to them, so we'll steal it. Amen. So unrighteous is not immoral. It's just somebody that doesn't have equity. Then there's the next group, self-righteous, and that's somebody who's trying to build their own equity with God by doing their behavior checklist or not doing a behavior checklist. You know, the bad one, don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew. God will do the good one. You know, I feed the homeless. I pray every day. I, you know, I try to be a good person. I write my tithe check. All, you know, the good checklist. And that way God will like me better and I'm building my brownie points. You know what? You can't build your own system with God. You can't gain equity with God. He can give it to you, but you can't earn it. And then there's the last one, righteous. Say, that's me. That's us. We just believe that what Jesus did is enough and we get 100% equity. There's nothing else we have to do to get it. It's ours. It's legally ours. When we believe on Jesus and that what he did is enough, God sets up a bank account for you. And it's, we'll call it the home equity line or whatever, right? It's an equity line account, and that money, that account is stocked full. Now, what we're trying to do is figure out how do I write checks on that account and get the equity from where it is in the account to where I can use it every day. Isn't that really what we're trying to do? See, and these are all hard issues. If you think that you've got to do a checklist in order to get equity, that'll mess you up. But if you think, though, i got equity so I don't have to do nothing to enjoy it, that'll mess you up too. Did I say that too fast? Because what we have on one hand, we've got people trying to build equity by doing stuff. You can't build equity by doing stuff. You get equity by believing that what Jesus did is enough. But in order to enjoy the equity, you've got to do stuff. Do you see the difference? Cause, and what happens is, uh, this is like, this whole deal is like if somebody gave you a high-performance car as a gift. Say like a Ferrari or a Porsche, all right? When you get it, it's brand new, and man, you get it in for a ride, and that thing will take the corners. It is awesome. But say you don't do anything to maintenance it. You just drive it hard. You don't change the oil. 
you don't change the air filter, you don't get the tires done, the brakes, and you put cheap gas in it. After a while, it's not going to perform, is it? No, so would you go blame the person that gave you the car? You gave me a bum car. I can't believe that you gave me that. How come this car ain't working? Whose fault is it that the car ain't performing? Yours, because you didn't maintenance it. See, that's what this whole thing with Zoe life is, this equity is. God gave you the equity. What you do with it, if you make... See, this is why baby Christians can get healed really fast. That's why their faith will work like that. As soon as they come in. You, if you notice, have you noticed that? And then after a while, your faith gets harder and harder to work. And what's going on? You might want to check your maintenance. Because what's happening is you've been driving this high-performance car and doing nothing to it. And now it's getting, you know, there's sludge in the engine. The spark plugs ain't been changed. The air filter's clogged. And then you'd be like, God, I don't understand what's going on. Well, you didn't do any maintenance on your car. You didn't do any maintenance on your equity. You didn't do maintenance on your covenant to keep the thing in high performance running so that it will produce for you. Does that help you any? Because I think a lot of people, they just don't know why it ain't working for them. I mean, you know, I got this great car. It's mine. God gave it to me. But, see, you've got to do something with it. You've got to ensure that the thing is running on all cylinders. Okay, go to the next one. We saw that righteousness red flags somebody who's in covenant. If you see the word righteous, or the Bible calls you righteous, somebody who has equity, that means it's somebody that's in covenant. Somebody that's in covenant. That's why Noah was called a preacher of righteousness because remember, God cut a covenant with Noah. Remember? And all the earth. Do you remember that when he came out and he, remember he gave one-seventh all his child? Right? Then God cut covenant. He called Noah a preacher of righteousness because he was in covenant. But hey, you know, he didn't call Job righteous. He said Job was upright and a good man, but he wasn't righteous. He didn't have a covenant. But then he called Abraham righteous because Abraham had a covenant. covenant. And then everybody that comes through the Abrahamic line also has a covenant. You're righteous. It says that you're right. Remember all that from Covenant for Rookies? That if you believe on Jesus, right? That if you're Christ, then you are also Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, and you're righteous just like Abraham is. All right, go to the next one. We saw this. I'm going to read this legal definition of covenant because it kind of it, it makes us uh, it puts us on track. Covenant is a legally binding contract, compact or agreement under seal. It's more than a contract. Its validity is automatic in a court of equity, which brings us to our go to the next one, second definition of equity. We saw that equity is, is fairness and justice, specifically the name given to a whole entire area of law. A whole ent- Now, I want you to remember that. Remember that, because when you see sometimes in the Bible... The law, it's talking about the Ten Commandments. And then there's other times where it talks about the law of God, and it's talking, what's the law of God? How does God operate? By what, by what rules? The rules of what? Righteousness. Equity, righteousness, right. So, don't get them confused, because equity is an actual area of law. Okay? Otherwise, how could we have a court, right? So, but it deals between disputes between people, that neither of them has, has, has broken the law, but somebody's violating somebody else's rights. There's a conflict between their rights. Whether somebody didn't do anything illegal, there's not like someone, you know, stabbed somebody, because that would be illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Against the law. It's where somebody is infringing on my rights. Where neither, none of us really did anything wrong against the law, but somebody is violating something. And I used this example last week, that Satan, he got the planet legally, remember? From Adam, Adam gave it to him. Satan said when he was tempting Jesus in Luke 4, he said, what was delivered unto me, this whole planet and all of its kingdoms, I'll give it to you if you worship me. What was delivered unto me? He didn't steal it. It was delivered unto him. So, how many know who's the God of this world? Who legally controls this planet? It's Satan. It's his. It's legally his. God can't do anything about it because he can't violate his own rules. But, 
how many know you and me? We're on the planet, and God gave it to us first, right? And I ain't Adam, are you? No, I didn't give it up, did you? No, so you know what? I'm not doing nothing wrong either. I didn't violate the law either. But somebody's violating my rights when I'm sick or I'm in lack. Thus enters the court of equity because Satan ain't doing nothing illegal and I'm not doing nothing illegal, but somebody, our rights are conflicting. Y'all follow that? Mm-hmm. So, but if Satan can get you in a court of law, he's happy because you got no, no standing because legally the planet belongs to him. Even though you didn't do anything wrong, legally it's his. So in a court of law, he wins. In a court of equity, you win. See how, why this is such a big deal? All right, go to the next one. We saw that equity is a venerable or holy group of rights or procedures to provide fairness, unhampered by the narrow strictures or technicalities of the law. In essence, the courts do the fair thing. I like that. Don't you like that? And their whole purpose is to prevent irreparable damage. The whole purpose of a court of equity is to make sure that you are not permanently damaged. If damage occurs, the court of equity will fix it. Not so necessarily in a court of law. Go to the next one. Equity is different from the law in that the law is derived from the Ten Commandments, say common law. law. Right? If you hear Judeo-Christian values, that's the Ten Commandments. That's common law. Judeo-Christian values. It came out of the Ten Commandments. And then it's statutes and ordinances is what Congress or the county council or the city council passes, right? And then there's case law, and that's past uh, opinions of the court, how judges ruled on cases that were similar. You ever watch any of the lawyers? They're always trying to bring up this case and cite that case, right? And that's what most, most of the time is spent in law school is learning prior cases so that you could cite them. Well, in a court of equity, go to the next one, don't really care about that because it depends. Every case is single. There, and it, every case is looked at in a vacuum, if you will. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. It doesn't matter what you think will happen in the future. It doesn't, what matters is this specific case. That's good news for you. Now, I want you to remember that because if you have forfeited your right previously for something, now you've got a new case. Just because, now, Satan can't say, well, he forfeited his right. You forfeited your right. It ain't forever. Now, in this new case, you're asserting your right. You might have given up the right to have a healing in your body before, but this time, I want healing in my body. I'm going to assert the right. Under a court of law, you'd be like, well, no, they, got, you know, they forfeited their right for healing. Under equity, it's a specific case, and it's based solely on the judge's discretion. And the judge would be like, well, no, this is a whole new case. If they want healing, they can have healing. That's good news for you. Because if you forfeited, and in the past you accepted lack, or you accepted not just being you know, in the middle class, or you accepted just having enough, or you accepted even if it is a good life but you want a better one, you assert your right for a better life. In this court, specific cases, well, today is a new day, and you're asserting your right for a better life today. Yesterday is gone. In a court of law, yesterday keeps coming back to bite you in the butt. You all see the difference? Okay. Is this helping you any? Because when you, when, you, when you understand this, you stop getting that whipsaw effect with what's going on with God. I know his character, but how come I can't win? Because there's plenty of days where I feel like that. Go to the next one. Uh, modern history, uh, this uh, court system of equity came up under uh, Old England, like King Arthur and Camelot, right? The king, what he did is he set up his own court of equity so that through his royal power he could wrong, uh, right wrongs. He could fix stuff that the court of law wasn't fixing. Okay? 
I want you to remember there's two things I highlighted on this whole thing. The only thing you really got to remember is the king and royal power. Because who's the king of kings? And, and he definitely has royal power. Is that not right? And so he's the one that can fix anything that's wrong. Amen. Now, in the U.S. courts, uh, we, uh, you know, we like our two-for-ones, our buy-one-get-one-free, so we rolled it all together in one cause of action, and we bl- blurred the lines. We're famous for that, ain't we? We've been doing it ever since the beginning, blurring the lines. And, you know, and so what happens is now everything's all just mixed up and jumbled up, and really we lost all the benefits of the court equity now. And so we are a nation under the rule of what? Law, and we're proud of it. Just, I mean, you just, everybody's, oh, rule of law, rule of law is everything, rule of law. Okay, I guess if you don't have equity, that's the next best thing you've got going instead of anarchy. But it's not the best thing. When we say we've got the best justice system in the world, that's probably true in the world, but the best justice system ever invented was equity. Go to the next one. Now, we saw scriptures for this. I, don't, I just want you to remember that God's court system is not a court of law. Whenever you see the judgment of God, the great white throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, remember when you're walking in there to that courtroom, it is not a court of law. It is a court of righteousness or a court of equity. Go to the next one. God's judgment and His decisions are based on the rules of equity, not the rule of law. If His court's a court of equity, it's a court of righteousness. It wouldn't be based on the, on the rules of law. It couldn't be. Because then it would be a court of law, not a court of equity. Right? Okay, go to the next one. Equity is higher than the law. What I like about this is that equity trumps the law in that even the lowest court of equity has more juice, if you will, I like that word, right, juice, more juice than the Supreme Court of Law. The top court of a court of law, right, doesn't have near the juice. It cannot overrule the lowest court of equity. And how many know, this is great for us because how many know God's like the supreme of the supreme? So his court of equity is really the highest court period ever, not the lowest. But if we did have the lowest, it would still trump law. That's how powerful this is. It's like over the top. Remember El Shaddai, God, that's more than enough? I would say that this is a little more than enough. Okay, (laughs) go to the next one. Now, this is all important to us because when we understand the rules by which God hands down judgments, we can be on the winning side. And that's what I want. If a judge hand da- hands down a $2 million judgment, I mean, no, it's good for you on judgment day if you're the winner. I mean, you can't wait to get judgment day if you're the winner. Boy, you keep, boy you're looking, man, no, please don't come judgment day if you're the loser. And I think most Christians, because they've been scared and, under, and think that God runs his court system of law, we're all scared of judgment day. Everybody is. I think most Christians have had the fear of God put in them that you, one day you'll stand before the Lord, brother or sister, and what will you say? Did you do enough? Right? You ever heard that junk? And, we're, and, and, you know, and if you be honest, you're a little scared down on the inside, even now when I'm saying it. Face to face with you, what do you, you know? Whew, that's court of law thinking. Court of equity. I ain't scared of judgment day. I can't wait for judgment day. In fact, David says, look over here. I love this in Psalm 26. I love this. See, David understood equity. Psalm 26 and verse 1. Y'all got it? Hang on, I'll wait. Because I want you to read it with your own eyes. In fact, I'm not even going to read it out loud. I want you to say it out loud for me. What is J- this is the first thing out of David's mouth in Psalm 26 is what? 
Judge me. He says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted also in the Lord and I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try the reins of my heart. He says, Judge me. I mean, remember the time where David, you know, he got anointed king when he was 16 and then he didn't become king until he was 30. So he got 14 years of, you know, waiting on what he knows his future is. Well, you remember, it was going good for a while. He did the lion and the bear, right? And then he did Goliath. And then he killed his ten thousands, and Saul only killed his thousands of the enemy, right? And it was looking good for him, and then Saul figured out it was looking good for him too. You know, it was looking good for David too, so then now Saul decides to try and kill him. Now he's hiding in a cave. How many know, I need judgment day. I'm on the run. Peoples is trying to kill me. I'm the rightful heir to the throne. The guy that's on the throne has got a hit team out after me. God judge me. I'm doing the right thing. I didn't do nothing wrong. I'm doing what you told me to do, God. Judge me. I mean, David wasn't perfect, was he? No, he made a lot of mistakes, didn't he? And yet he understood equity because he said, you know what, God, judge me. Judgment day now. Please, now, hurry, please. And I'll tell you what, assert your right to be judged. (laughs) You know, because how many know, if you really trust in God's judgment, like that he's going to do the right thing, then judge me because I know he's not going to hang me out the dry, because i got equity with him, and he can't. Otherwise, he'd violate his word. But see, we're afraid of judgment because we don't really understand that. If you understand that, man, you are begging for judgment every second of the day. Please come. I like it, because if you're on the winning side, that means payday. Whoop, whoop, right? All right, go to the next one. Now, (laughs) I love this stuff. Can you tell? All right, now, we saw that rule number one was that... uh, Righteousness or equity acts on the person, force them to do what conscience requires. So if you violate your conscience, you can't win. Okay. Number two is what we, we talked about last week, was that righteousness will not suffer a wrong without a remedy, a healing, a restoration, or a betterment. And these are your rights under the, under the equity court system. That a healing, a restoration, or a betterment. Let's fly through these slides pretty quick, Mandy, um, because I want to just get to new ground today. Healing, right? Healing is that we would restore or make whole. Go to the next one. We saw in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, that, uh, that by Jesus' stripes we already were healed. We already were healed and that we should live under equity. We should be under the rules of equity, and when we are under the rules of equity, we get healing. It's part of our rights. <laughs> Go to the next one. Restoration. Restoration is that we want to bring back to existence, back to the original condition uh, that something that was stolen or lost. And we saw that under the Old Testament law, that it was five oxen for one, four sheep for one, plus a 20% recharge. If somebody stole from you, that's what they had to give you back, restore back. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? All right, now go in, under equity in Proverbs 6, we saw that it was a sevenfold return. Sevenfold. If someone steals from you, they have to give you back seven times, which is even more than what it was under the law. So that's pretty good, isn't it? That's your right under equity. You have the right for a healing. If you're sickness in your body, you got right uh, for healing. If there's sickness in your checkbook, if there's sickness in your relationships, you have a right for healing. If you've been stolen from or you've suffered a loss in any area of your life, you have the right for it to be restored and made better. Which brings us to our next right. Go to the next one. Betterment. This is that your life would be better. It's your right that everything that happened to you in life, it still could get better. That's your right under equity. That your life would be made better. You would be enriched, you would advance, and you would be promoted. Go to the next one. We saw that um, promotion is to be appointed to a higher position or rank. And we saw in Proverbs, go to the next one, Mandy, 4 and verse 7, 
that wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her. That means put position, uh, put wisdom in a position of honor in your life. Put her at the first position or a top priority. And remember, wisdom is making decisions based on the filter of the Word. And when we put that first in our life, she shall promote you. It's your right to be promoted in life. That goes along with honor, which is great because it says she shall bring thee to what? Honor. When you do embrace her, and she shall give your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory she'll deliver to thee. That's your right. But that goes with riches, honor, and life, doesn't it? So promotion is your right in the covenant. It's a covenant right. Go to the next one. To be enriched. To, have, uh, to improve the quality of the value of. Your life should be enriched. Your net worth should be enriched. Your relationship should be enriched. Go to the next one. Proverbs 10 and verse 22, I love this. It says, the blessing of the Lord. Remember, blessing is consistently lucky success, right? The consistently lucky success of the Lord, it makes you rich and he adds no sorrow to it. It is your right to be rich and not have any baggage with it. That's not a privilege. That's a right. If you don't assert that right, I mean, you ain't going to get it. All right, go to the next one. Then we saw this to advancement, to move forwards, to have forward movement, to make progress, to develop and improve. It is your right that your life would develop and improve, that you would have forward movement and there would be progress made. That's your right. Not a privilege. It's your right. You all following this? Okay, go to the next one. We saw in James 4 and verse 10, said, if you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, remember humble just means to believe that God and act like God's smarter than you are. See, that's where we just don't say that He is, but we actually start living by these rules of equity because that's how God hands down judgment. We trust His judgment. When we humble ourselves, we put ourselves underneath His court system in order to get a winning judgment. And what does it say that He'll do? He shall lift you up. That's your right to be lifted up. It's not a privilege, it's a right. Am I saying these strong enough? Because I don't think that we think that it actually is our right. What's the uh, deal say? Right, Our founding documents talk about the inalienable rights. These are your inalienable rights in the covenant. All right, go to the next one. Now, rule number two is really the one that's up there in just white. Righteousness will not suffer a wrong without a remedy, a healing, a restoration, or a betterment. It lays out what your rights are. And I added from rule number five, I brought it up here because it goes with rule number two. It says, righteousness abhors a forfeiture of rights. I'm going to talk about this now because I'm talking to you about your rights and I think it would be prudent for us to talk about how we forfeit them at this point, not like ten weeks from now. Because I think it goes with now, don't you? I mean, would, all right. So we will talk more about this under rule number five and the technicalities of it, but I want us to understand what our rights are and how we forfeit them. Because if we can understand, again, if you can see the negative side of this thing, how I forfeit them, you can stop the forfeiture. Just knowing the rights is great, but if you don't know how you're letting them slip through your fingers, they're going to keep slipping through your fingers. Okay, so go to the next one. Psalm 34, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Version. Now it says this, When the righteous, now I put in parentheses up there, because when you see the word righteous in your Bible, it means those who live by the rules of equity. Isn't that what a righteous, someone who's righteous is? Not only do you have equity, but you're li- because equity is riches, honor, and life. Remember, the second definition is equity, that it's a whole entire area of law. So a righteous person, not only do they have riches, honor, and life, but they also live by the rules 
of equity. They don't live by the rules of law. They live by the rules of equity. So when the righteous, those who live by the rules of equity, cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their distresses and troubles. My, i got two things going here, don't I? Let's read the next verse and we'll see. Now many, in verse 19, I skipped 18, we'll go to 19. Many evils, adversity, affliction, calamity, and worries, right, confront, are you confronted with this? Absolutely. You are confronted by the, the consistently righteous. Many of the evils confront the consistently righteous. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. Now, here's a couple things I've got to look at. One, is you don't have the right to get delivered out of them if you're not living under the rules of equity. Isn't that true? Because the first, the first thing that gets you into this is that you are righteous. And then it says in verse 19 that you're consistently righteous. So that means that you have a track record of living under the rules of equity. That means that, that's how, that, and you've got to switch that and you're thinking, I don't live under the rule of law anymore. It ain't about cussing, drinking, smoking, chewing, going all as those who do. It ain't about the Ten Commandments. Right? I don't, I don't live under that system. Because that system will bring you death. You'll lose under that system. You'll be afraid of judgment, and you should be afraid of judgment under that system. But when you ditch the guilt, right, and we live by our conscience, and we live by, right, these rules of equity, that we do have rights and we should assert them, then when you, the second thing you've got to do is cry for help. If you don't ask for help under the rules of equity, you ain't getting none. Y'all ever heard that? That you, he, uh, you get not because you ask not, you have not because you ask not? Mm-hmm. That's a rule of equity. That's part of the rules of equity. If you're not asking, God can't do nothing. Right. Don't be like telling God, how come this ain't happening? That ain't asking for help. So you've got to ask the right question. The right question is, God, what do I need to do to get out of this jam? Isn't that asking for help? Mm-hmm. Not, oh God, how come this happened? Who cares how come it happened at this point? We can do the after-action report later, but right now I need to get out of the jam. Afterwards, we can find out what happened. Okay, go to the next one. Psalm 37 says this. In verse 39, it says, But the salvation, that means the physical rescue. Remember, that ain't being born again. That means I got my hiney fat pulled out the fire. Copy? Okay. The salvation of the righteous, and again, that's those who live by the rules of equity, is the Lord. Who's the salvation of those that live by equity? The Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them and shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because why? They trust in Him. So here's this, here we go again. Here's two things. I've got to be consistently righteous or I have to live by the rules of equity. And then when I ask for help, I've got to do something in order to get it. What is it? Trust Him. I've got to trust that His judgment is going to be the right one. That means I can't ask for help and then go rely on my own judgment to work this thing out. Right? Because if you rely on your own judgment, it ain't going to work. Now, and here's, here's some of the ways that we get our own judgment. Sensual wisdom, what I see, what I hear, right, what I can touch. Earthly wisdom, other people's experience. Right? Or devilish wisdom, which is ambition and competition. If you, you can't rely on that, what you see and what you hear. You can't rely on other people's past experience in order to win in this court. That's hard to do. It's very hard to do. Let's just be honest. In real life, real time, it's hard not to do the quote, quote, conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom 
will not get you out of trouble. Wisdom of the Word will get you out of trouble. And you've got to live by the rules of equity and then trust that He is going to make the right judgment. And I really don't believe that most of us in real life, real time, and I'm included in that, we get scared that He's not going to judge fast enough or judge the right way. If we're just honest. We're in church. Let's not lie. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm not saying that I don't. I am. I mean, there's days where I'm just scared. Because I'm like, I'm out here without a safety net, God. Right? I'm doing the tightrope you know, routine and there's nothing here. to. If I fall, I'm, I'm smoked. But in order to get out of trouble, i just got to trust and know His character that, you know what? He didn't bring me this far to drop me and kill me. He didn't bring me this far to destroy me. He didn't bring me this far so that I would lose my house or I'd lose my wife and my kids or I'd lose you know, the things that I hold dear, the things that we all enjoy. He didn't bring you that far. You've got to fight a lot of stuff in your flesh and your mind and will and emotions because it's going to tell you that when it's crunch time. The stuff that I'm telling you is not... Look, it's easy to say all this great rules of righteousness in here. When the rubber meets the road, it's not so easy. Is it? No, because we got a lot of cultural and religious thinking that has been built into us from the time that we were kids. And we've got to undo that in real life, real time. It's very difficult. That's why you've got to stay on this stuff. All right, go to the next one. Forfeiture of rights. Here's exactly what that means. I'm going to read you the definition of a forfeiture of rights. To incur or suffer loss through default... Omission or error. To abandon or to give it up. Just to give up. If you're ever in a point where you just give up, you have forfeited your right. You forfeit. You incur or suffer loss through default, through omission or error. Or you just abandon it and give it up. Now somebody asked me last week, how can I unforfeit a right that I forfeited? You cannot. That's the bad news. The bad news is once you forfeit your right, it's gone. There is good news though, in that every case is single, which I said before. Think of it like this. Every citizen in this country when they're 18 years old has the right to vote. Y'all tracking with me? Last month, In South Carolina, we had two presidential primaries, a Republican primary one weekend and a Democratic primary the next weekend. If you didn't go vote in either of those primaries, you forfeited your right to vote. You abandoned it. You gave it up. Either you didn't know the day happened by error, you admitted it, but you forfeited your right to vote. Now, you're watching the presidential primaries and you don't like how they're turning out. Can you go back and vote in the primary? No, you lost your right. You forfeited the right to vote. There's nothing you can do. There's consequences to the fact that you forfeited your right. Whether you think their vote would have made a difference or not, you'll follow what I'm doing with the example. But in the very next election, you can reassert your right to vote, can you not? The next time there's one queued up, you don't have to sit it out. This is the same thing within the court of equity. You could forfeit your right. And then you're going to have to pay consequences for that forfeiture right. You can't get it back. Once it's downrange, it's downrange. However, the next time it comes up, learn from that and don't give up your right again. The next case that comes up, you reassert the right. 
Because a lot of what happens with God is He puts you in position and then He's got to work a lot of other things that go on. And once He gets you in position, then He can close the deal when He gets everybody else into position. This is why you need to follow your conscience. Because sometimes He'll tell you, go over here, and it makes absolutely no sense. But what He's doing is positioning you in order for one of your rights to get closed on the deal. Even if it looks like it's the craziest, stupid, that's nuts. Again, it goes against conventional wisdom. And I don't see how this is going to help me at all. What he's doing is putting you in a position so he can close the deal and get you your right. So don't forfeit your right and follow your conscience. Even if it looks like it ain't going to happen, what God's doing is setting you up. And it takes time to set you up for the big ones. So what we've got to do on the front end of this is listen to your conscience, get yourself in the position so when the thing happens, then you will be at the right place at the right time. Listen to my conscience. God's positioning me, and he is pulling this thing off like clockwork, but he's got to get you in the right spot. Now listen, if you forfeit your right, and he told you go over here, and you didn't, and then the deal closed, and you weren't in it, guess what? You can't get that one back. Next time he tells you do something, go do it, and be quick to get in the position. Hindsight, you'll be a genius. Oh, I should have done that. Great. Good job. You know what? Listen to your conscience on the front end and don't forfeit your right on the front end so that he can get it to you on the back end. Is that helping you any? Okay, go to the next one. Here's the number one way that we forfeit our rights. I'm going to tell you the number one way is that you just don't realize that you forfeited them. First off, you didn't know that they were your rights and you didn't know that you were giving them up. If you didn't know you had the right to vote, elections could come and go and come and go and come and go. You didn't even know you could vote. This is the number one. We didn't know that healing and restoration and betterment was a right. We might have heard something about it, but we didn't know that it was our God-given right to have healing, restoration, and better life. So, go to the next one. In Hosea 4, and verse 6, we all know this verse. It says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If you don't know that these are your rights, and you don't know that you were letting them slip through your fingers, it'll keep happening and you'll be destroyed. Then there's a second group of people that says, because you rejected knowledge, I also reject you. So look, now that you know this stuff, don't continue to forfeit your rights. Because what what Now, you wouldn't tell me you're rejecting the knowledge, but by your actions and not living under the rules of equity, you're actually rejecting the knowledge of the rules of equity. And then what, what's God, what does he have to do? Reject you. Because give and it'll be given. Right? Forgive and it'll be forgiven. Don't judge and you won't be judged. If you reject, you'll be... Right, the covenant is reciprocal. However you want God to act towards you. You ever heard that, the golden rule? You act towards Him first. Right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Even the world knows that one. That's the covenant wrapped as reciprocal. However you want God to act towards you, you act towards Him. Alright, go to the next one. Number two way that we forfeit our rights, is that we take ourselves out from equity and we put ourselves back in under the rule of law. We get back under trying to keep the Ten Commandments. We get back under doing our checklist of obligations of don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with those that do. We, get, you know, we do all the stuff we're supposed to do, right? We write our tithe check like it's a bill. And we, we you know, here's the, here's the epitome of that is, right, then they send you the little box of envelopes that are numbered. Okay, you know it's obligation, all right? Red flag, if it's coming to you like a, you know, a coupon book for your car payment, you're under law. Y'all following this? I mean, it's just ridiculous. 
Don't put yourself under the law and forfeit your rights to healing, restoration, and betterment. Because what happens is, you put yourself under the curse of the law. Go to the next one. Jesus, it says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, because it's written, cursed is everyone that hangs on this tree, step number nine of the covenant. But if you put yourself, go to the next one, under the law, back it up to verse 10 of that same chapter, Galatians 3, for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. You can't get out from the curse if you're under the rule of law. That's why Satan wants to keep you under the rule of law. That's why the body of Christ is not a glorious church because we are playing in the wrong court system and we cannot win in the court system we've placed ourselves in. We can't win. We're, we, as a whole, the body of Christ worldwide is under the curse because we are under the rule of law. And every time you hear that Judeo-Christian values stuff, just go off in your mind. They're talking about being under the law. And if you're under the law, you cannot win. Can I say it any more times? I won't keep saying it because it will creep back in on you and you'll start doing stuff out of obligation. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. That means you can't get a winning judgment. Justified means that, you know what, I can rule in your favor. Isn't that what it means? If it's justifiable homicide, it means you ain't going to jail. For it is evident the just or the righteous, those who live by the rules of equity, will live by faith. And the law is not of faith. The man that do them will, or the man that doeth them shall live in them. You want to live by the law, you're going to die by the law. Do you want to live by the rules of equity? You ain't going to die. Because under equity, you get zoe. Riches, honor, and life. Go to the next one. Rule number three, or number three way, I'm sorry. The number three way that we forfeit our rights. We're going to have to camp out here for a couple minutes, right? By the words of our mouth. What comes out of your mouth is how you'll forfeit the number one, number three way, I'm sorry, that you'll forfeit your right. It might be number one for some of you. But <laughs> what comes out your mouth, do not, do not say things that do not line up with your covenant, that do not line up with what God says about you and your equity. When you say something that goes counter to what God says about you and your equity, you forfeit the right to that equity. And it goes something like this. Oh, you know, baby, you're just dreaming. We could never have that new house. You just forfeited your right to riches. Ah, uh, you know, we couldn't afford that. No way we can afford that. You're forfeiting your right to riches. Ah, uh, you know, that, that healing stuff, that don't work. You forfeited your right. Don't let the words of your mouth forfeit your equity. Because go to the next one. Proverbs 18 and verse 20 says this, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips he shall be filled. The, increase, the more you run your mouth, the more your belly is going to get filled up with this fruit of what your mouth says. That means you're going to live by and you're going to have to eat on and provide for yourself by the words of your mouth. And the more you run your mouth against equity, the more you forfeit that equity. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. 
you love death, you're going to eat the fruit of death. If you love life, you'll eat the fruit of life. But I'll be talking about life. Because what you love, you're going to talk about. You all found this? If you love life, you're going to talk a lot about life. All right, go to the next one. Now remember, uh, Romans 10.10 said this, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. What's righteousness? Equity. With the heart man believes unto righteousness or equity. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation or being physically rescued. So do you remember this from the first week? You have this checking account, this home equity line, if you will. When you believed on Jesus, you got equity. He set you up this account with riches, honor, and life in it. In order to cash the check on the account, you've got to say with your mouth what God says about you. You remember, writing the check and cashing the check is what you say. If you say that'll never happen, then that'll never happen for you. You y'all following me? Now listen, your initial response, we're talking about forfeiting your rights. Your initial response to a situation is, whatever the first thing that comes out of your mouth, it better not be the forfeiture of your right. Because guess what? Can you get it back? It's just like voting. You miss that election. So when, it, when you're getting squeezed, the first thing that better come out of your mouth is not forfeiting the right to getting this thing fixed. And I think a lot of us, and I'm, I've done this in the past, forfeit the right right out the gate. I used to do it a whole lot when I was younger. Kimmy would say, be positive and be like, I'm positive it ain't going to work. Right? You remember when I used to say that, Joan? You know? And she'd just be like, want to just smack me and I, you know, be positive. I'm positive. I'm positive that ain't going to work. Well, guess what? It ain't. And then I go, see, I was right. Well, dummy, not in a good way. All right, go to the next one. So look, back up one. Your initial response is key. The first thing that comes out of your mouth cannot be forfeiting your right. Do you all know what your rights are? What are they? They're what? Riches on in life. But what are the rights under, the, under rule number two? That you'd have the right to healing, restoration, and betterment. If you can't remember anything else, that I should be healed, I shouldn't be stole from, and my life should be better. Better, 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 better. I know we're talking about riches, honor, and life, but that ain't got us nowhere in the last two and a half years. Let's just be honest. You need to do better. If you can't grab riches, honor, and life, you can definitely grab better, right? Better than we are today, and every day we should be getting better. That's your right. Don't forfeit that. All right, go here in Mark 5 and verse 21. This is a story about Jesus um, healing uh, J. Iris' daughter. And I want to look at this because it says, uh, it illustrates this point about your initial response being key. Because uh, we'll just read it and we'll see how important that Jesus thinks this is. In verse 21 it says, And Jesus passed over again by ship to the other side. Much people were gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. So he's pulling into port and there's a big crowd there. Now he's coming back to this town of Capernaum. He just got kicked out two weeks earlier by the leaders of the synagogue. They kicked him out. Because he's you know going against a little religious setup. Now look what happens. And behold, there and behold, there comes one of the rulers of the synagogue who two weeks ago kicked him out, named Jairus. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee that you'll come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Two weeks ago, Jairus forfeited his right by kicking Jesus out of town, right? 
well, what an amazing two weeks, you know, two weeks time and some circumstance change. Now he's begging to have his right restored. He's reasserting on a different day his right. Go to the next one. Verse 24, And Jesus went with them, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years. Now remember, Jairus' daughter is like 12 years old. She's dying. Let's go. We've got to go get her healed. Right? We ain't got time for any detours, do we? What if it's your daughter? What if it's your, your, your significant other? Your whatever, you, know, you want to get Jesus there to fix them. They're dying. Here comes this woman with an issue of blood. And for 12 years. So look, you know she's got time, all right? She's been working on the clock for 12 years. She can wait another couple minutes, don't you think? I mean, come on. 12 years, you ain't dying right now. And she'd suffered many things from the physicians. And she spent all that she had and was nothing better, but grew worse. And when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and she touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch his clothes, I'll be made whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Is she asserting her right? You bet she is. And she's doing it in an unconventional way. Go to the next one. She's kind of stealing the healing, ain't she? She stole one, didn't she? She ain't asking Jesus to lay hands on me. She went up there and got behind him and touched him. Woo, yeah, there we go. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, that's the Greek word dunamis or power, knowing in himself that dunamis, that power, had gone out of him, he turned about in this crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging thee? And you say, Who touched me? I mean, come on, Jesus. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But when the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, she came and fell down before him and told him on the truth, all the truth, all the truth. How much of the truth? Uh, now listen, you know she's telling him the 12-year story, okay? <laughs> she ain't getting the headlines, and Jairus' daughter is near death. I mean, no, we didn't even want to stop to look around and see who touched me. We're like, What's Jesus doing? We've got to go to the, you know, I know I kicked him out two weeks ago, but are, is he playing with me? What's going on? Come on, we've got to go. And then here she comes and wants to tell her 12-year story. All the truth. <sighs> you know, if you're J.R.'s, think about it. If the shoe's on your foot. Listen, lady, write it down and email it to him. That's nice. We've got to go. And so after her whole story, right, he says in verse 34, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. And while he yet spake, so here's Jesus telling her that, after all the truth, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house a certain man which said, Your daughter is dead. Why do you trouble the master any further? So here comes the servant of the house and says, You know what, Jairus? Your daughter's dead. Don't bug Jesus anymore. Let's go. What if you got that bad news? What's the first thing to come out your mouth? Oh, I knew we shouldn't have stayed here this long listening to, you know, what's her face telling her story. What Jesus, why are we doing? What do I do? You know, what's going on? How come we had to sit here and we're doing all this and learning about her health insurance problem, twelve years of the doctors, all our money and now my daughter's dead. What's Jesus say? He heard this. Jesus heard this out there. He's talking to her and he hears out the corner of his ear, Don't be troubling him anymore. The master's dead. Go to the next one. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, as soon as Jesus stops everything that he's doing and he turns to Jairus and he says, be not afraid, only believe. 
because your initial response is absolute key that you don't forfeit your right to be healed. Y'all see that? As soon as Jesus heard it, He stopped everything that He was doing. He said, listen, just don't be afraid. Only believe. And don't you open up your mouth and forfeit your right. And He suffered no man to follow Him. He stopped the crowd right there. Y'all stay here. He even left all the disciples there except for Peter, James, and John. And He came into the house, the ruler of the synagogue's house, and He saw the tumult. So everybody's there because He's a big political figure in town. And they're all grieving and they're wailing and, and putting on the big show of, oh, you know, Jairus' daughter's dead. Go to the next one. And when he saw and he was come in, he said unto them, Why do you make this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, she sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. Good thing it wasn't their daughter. Because their initial response was, Hi, you dope. And guess what? You just forfeited your... You better pray to God that your kids ain't homesick now. But when he had put them all out, he got rid of them all, and he took the father and the mother of the damsel. Notice that they still haven't spoken yet. Have they? No, he ain't letting them talk. Because if you can't assert your right, you better not forfeit it. Even if you can't assert your right and say, yep, I know that's true and I, you know, I know it'll all be alright, you better just zip your lip and not forfeit your right and say, that ain't going to happen. Don't be positive that it won't happen. And he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and they entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took her by the hand, and he said unto her, Talitha kume, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say to thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was at the age of 12 years old. And they were astonished with great astonishment. That was the part where they go, unbelievable, unbelievable. I can't believe that just happened. That's unbelievable. Do you believe that? I can't believe that. So now they're forfeiting the right, but guess what? It's already too late. The, the thing's already happened. Did you see that? You can be astonished and forfeit your right after the fact all you want. Because I know some people, they get like under condemnation because they said, I can't believe it after it happened. Right? They'd be like, well, I didn't, oh, you didn't believe I, You know, the thing you're believing for finally happens. You go, I can't believe it. And then somebody will you know, jack you up. See, you weren't believing it all. Well, apparently I was because it happened. So I could say whatever I want right now because, you, you know, and he charged them straightly. Now look, remember the big crowd? And then he went, they, they know something's up because he told them to stay here. Then there was the big crowd outside the house. Then he kicked them out. So then he tells them, oh, no man should know this. Oh, really? How's that going to work? When little Susie goes up to cheerleading practice tomorrow and everyone knows that she was dead yesterday, how are you going to not tell? Right? This is funny. And he commanded that something should be given her to eat. You know what I think? I think that Jesus knows that you will do the exact opposite most of the time. So in order to get obedience, he just said, don't tell nobody. And he knew they would go tell. I do it with Michaela all the time. Don't give me a kiss. No, I'm giving you a kiss. You know, if I tell her, give me a kiss, I won't get one. Don't give me one, you're not getting one. No, no, kiss, kiss. Right? I think that's what Jesus was doing here. It's pretty funny. Anyway, go to the next one. Now look, Mark 11, 22, or 23 and 24, we all know this verse probably. But again, Jesus reiterating this fact that with the words of your mouth, you don't want to forfeit your right. He said, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now, 
let's just take this whole mountain moving thing. Let's say we went out and there was a mountain on a piece of property we bought and we wanted to develop it and turn it into something, you know, but we needed to flatten that mountain. And I went out there and I said, you know what, that mountain is going down. We're going to turn that mountain into a lake. Now, you've been taught that this is some kind of magical pixie dust thing that if I say it long enough, the mountain will just turn into a lake, haven't you? Now, I believe that that mountain is going into the lake. Now, Father, how do I get this mountain turned into a lake? I know we get some earth movers and a bulldozer and we turn it into a lake. And six months from now, what I said, and I believe what I said, is happening. Y'all following this? It ain't magic pixie dust. If I believe that that mountain's going to, and I'm saying that mountain's going, I'm going to do that mountain's going into a lake. Not I just stand there and keep talking to it. Well, I don't know why it didn't change. I don't know why it didn't. The Bible saying, you know. Because you don't really believe the mountain's going to turn into a lake. Because if you did, you start doing something to get it to turn into a lake. Because faith without works or corresponding action is dead. Thank you, James. Right? Am I making this stuff up? It's all the Bible. But we've been sitting here for so long going, well, how come it didn't work? Well, because you're not working. What I'm telling you is don't forfeit your right with your mouth. Assert your right with your mouth. Then go do something. It didn't say say something. It said do something. What you don't want to do with your mouth is forfeit your right. You want to assert your right with your mouth. But how many know just asserting your right with your mouth is not going to get it done? But you can undo the whole thing with your mouth. It's very easy to undo the thing with your mouth. But you just with your mouth is not going to get it done. You all following this? All right, go to the next one. The fourth way that we forfeit our rights is right after the end of this verse is that we don't forgive other people. If somebody did us wrong and you're harboring that, you forfeit your right to having a better life. So look, I love me more than I hate you. Did you all follow that? I'm not going to harbor hate for you because I love me more. And if I have unforgiveness towards you, it screws me, not you. Did you all follow on that? If I hold something that you did something evil against me or whatever and you, you know, stole from me, and you never paid it back, or whatever it is, and then I don't forgive you, I'm the loser in that transaction. I love me more than I hate you. I'm not going to... Look, how much I hate you, is it doesn't really matter, but I love me enough not to forfeit my rights over you. You all following that? Think of the person that, you know, that, that screwed you over. You know, and that's really how you've got to take this thing. And make the decision, no matter what the emotion of it is, is... My wife and my kids, or your husband and your kids, your family, your well-being, a better life is worth more to you than holding unforgiveness for that person. So I'm just going to let it go. That don't mean I've got to go to lunch with you and we go on a vacation together. Did you see what I'm saying? And I'm not going to waste my brotherly love on you. Because Jesus said that's like casting your pearls before swine and you're being just like a dog who returns to your own vomit, eating it back up. Good job. Jesus said it, not me. Go to the next one. Mark eleven twenty four said that I, whatever that you desire when you pray, believe that you'll receive them. And when you stand praying, forgive. Because if you have aught against any, so if you're holding something against anybody, you need to forgive them. Why? So that your Father also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And again, back to reciprocal covenant. Right? Whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of it. You put forgiveness into it, you're going to get forgiveness out of it. Don't forfeit your rights. Listen, and don't get back into law. 
Remember we'll hear what they are again. That you didn't know what your rights were. That you got under the rule of law. Right? By the words of your mouth. That you didn't forgive. Don't forget them after we walk out of here today. Because I'll tell you what. If you forfeit your rights, you can't get them back until the next one is queued up. Stand to your feet with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, help us to remember this in real life, real time. Be the, be the helper and the comforter that helps us and comforts us when we're scared in real life, real time to just trust God's judgment. I know it is so, it is real scary. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of uh, power and of love and a disciplined sound mind. Help us in those times of crisis that we could apply ourselves to the rules of equity. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.